So we've been singing our praises to Him, and we've been making our prayers to Him, and now He speaks to you through His Word, through His Spirit. Before I pick up and read the text there this day, just as a reminder, this is a letter that was written 2,000 years ago, and because it was written by the Holy Spirit through a man, it's always present tense. It's always real. As we begin this letter and read Romans 1, it's like you were reading yesterday's headlines. We see the whole history in a microcosm of Romans chapter 1 of man rejecting God and God rejecting man. This letter written from Paul to the church that was at Rome And it's based upon one truth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was a real event. And because of that, there is hope beyond the grave for all those that believe in Christ. So Paul starts out in Romans 1 and tells us about our condition. Everyone is born into this world hating God. That's a harsh truth in reality. We don't like to think that about our little babies. But until we be born again, there's only one God in the universe, and it's us. Paul says there in Romans 3 that all of us have rattlesnake poison in our hearts, and it comes up out of our hearts, through our throat, and out of our mouth, over our lips and tongues, and we're, we'll just spew poison all over everybody and everything. Social media magnifies it. World politics and media magnifies this hatred, strife, and division. And that's where all of us are, except He have mercy on us. That poison in our hearts will destroy our marriages. It will destroy our children. It will destroy our communities. It will destroy our churches. It will destroy our governments. It will break down everything. If God does not have mercy, and God does have mercy and is having mercy, because the gospel is still being preached in the world and it's still being believed on as he is calling people out of that mess into the reality of the spiritual kingdom of Christ now. Paul has told us how we get into that kingdom through this first part of this letter. It's through a free gift and grace of God, justification by faith, being born again by the Spirit of God. And as he's laid out all of that doctrine through the first 11 chapters and even talking about his sovereignty to do whatever he wants with the human race, he can do whatever he wants. And throughout scriptures you see there are two peoples, there's the wicked and there's the righteous. And God does whatever He wants among the children of men. And so as He's shown us our condition and how bad our condition is, and then He shows us the free gift of God and the mercy that we've been saved to such a glorious resurrection now, spiritually in our mind, hearts, and also the coming resurrection of the body. As He tells us that those great truths... And he winds up chapter 11 
He says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. That's how he wraps up that first section, the doctrinal section of this letter. Of him, through him, to him are all things. He's the source of life. You have breath right now and you can think because he wills it. And that's a mercy. Every breath we take. And so he opens up this next section, which is the practical section. It starts in 12.1. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, all these mercies that he's told us about so far in Romans, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your, that's your reasonable service. If he saved you, it's reasonable that you would As he laid down his body for you, you would lay down your body for him. And, not only that, that you would be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what we're doing here in this preaching and doctrine and singing. We come here every week to renew our minds, to keep that conforming world pushed back. The darkness with the light. And be not conformed, but transformed. And then he goes into that first part of section there. And it's all about humility and loving within the context of the church. Every one of you are given a gift by the Holy Spirit where you can help somebody in this church. You all have a purpose. God has got a purpose. We don't believe in accidents. And you're here today is no accident. And so Paul is admonishing us to love one another and to respond in the great love that's been shown us that we would desire God above all things. That's what love means. It means when you love something, you desire it above all things. And some key verses in this chapter 12 before we get started with our text, because this is... Chapter 12 lays the foundation for all this practical teaching through the rest of the letter. Don't be conformed, be transformed, be humble in mind, overcome evil with good, hate evil, cleave to that which is good, love one another, prefer one another, rejoice, be patient, continue to pray, give to the people who need, bless those who persecute you. Remember, God is the God of wrath, you're not. You can't take vengeance. And he winds up that chapter 12 saying, don't be overcome with evil. All of the, the world dwells in wickedness and sin. Don't be overcome with that evil. And if you listen to too much media, we, we, you know, we, speak, we keep speaking about this because you've you got to watch it. You can be overcome with evil because to transform your mind is critical that you spend hours in this thinking on it, praying on it, meditating on it. If you don't, you'll be overcome with evil. So be not overcome with evil, but be overcome with good. This is to those who are born of the Spirit. And you will overcome evil with good. And you are overcoming evil with good. Isn't that good news? And then in the first part of chapter 13, last time we spoke about where he says, you're to be in subjection to the government authorities. And he's writing this at a time 
whenever Nero or was either in power or would soon be in power in Rome, who was one of the great persecutors of the Christian church. Paul says you've got to be subject to the higher powers. Why, Paul? They're evil. They're wicked. Why should we be in subjection to them? Because God ordained governments, and He's over them. And that's why He says we're to pray for them in 1 Timothy. And they're going to be held accountable for how they govern one day. And the whole purpose of government is to enforce the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments. That's clearly laid out. We went through that last time. He also said you're to pay your taxes. We're we're not to be in insurrection against the government, but where they get out of their lane and they're not doing what they should be, we resist that. How do we resist it? By keeping the moral law. And I think that's demonstrated in the rest of this chapter right here. So he moves from last time saying, pay your taxes into verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this, saying namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love works no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And so we'll get started on that section 8 through the end here and we'll see how far we get today. Let us pray for help one more time. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this word that you had written and recorded. And not just that, but you've preserved this word to this day. Even though there have been kings and men that have tried to burn it and destroy it and erase it from history. We thank you for preserving the very communication from another realm to teach us how we are to live in this present evil world. Thank you for calling us out of the dark kingdom into the kingdom of light. And I pray now you would instruct us, Holy Spirit, how we are to live now in this present world. In Jesus' name, amen. So transformed to love others. We'll call that the title. Transformed to love others. So that's, this is still flowing out of that 12-2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are to, uh, to be a living sacrifice. And what does that living sacrifice look like? I'll tell you, just read Romans. That's what a living sacrifice looks like. If you want to see a renewed mind, Paul had a renewed mind, and he wrote Romans, the, le- the Romans letter. And read that. That's what a renewed mind looks like. This is the way we are to think about the world and reality. The more your thinking aligns with Romans and the rest of the Scripture, 
the happier you will be, the less fear you will have, the less anxiety you will have in your life. When your heart is transformed by truth and love, you will have a capacity to love which will transform the world. When your heart is transformed by truth and love, you will have a capacity to love that will transform the world. First, the spirit of love transforms your heart. And this infinite love of Christ that I read in the call to worship, which surpasses knowledge, will so spill over out of your heart and your mind and your life and your wife and your children and your family and your community. It will transform the world. It was said of these 12 disciples in Acts, it said these are the, you know, these are the ones who, who've turned the world upside down. We would put it another way, right? They turned the world upside right. And this word continues to do that according to plan. And that's not something you're going to hear on the 5 o'clock news. This is something that is taking place in Christ's kingdom throughout the world. And it's a successful kingdom. And so these hearts are transformed. And how do we see that in our text today? Well, in loving, in urgency, and in demonstration. So let's just take a look at that. Number one, by loving. He says in 13.8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. And this owe no man anything here is a imperative. That's a command. Owe no man anything but to love one another. I think Paul here is using the idea of debt. He just came out of saying, you, you owe the government a debt to pay your taxes, pay your taxes. And he says, owe no man anything but to love one another. The whole scheme of debt and paying back debt and the burden of debt is something that God has written into the fabric of reality to teach you about a greater debt and a greater payment that impacts eternity. Owe no man anything but to love one another. The word love here is present tense and active. We are to be always loving one another. And we have to rescue this word love just for a minute from overuse and we know in the original Greek there were several different words for different kinds of love in English we've got one word I love my dog I love my car I love my football team and so the meaning of this gets diluted this is agape love here and this is the love that means to prize something above everything and not to be willing to part with it for anything, even life. Because you are made in God's image, and God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been engaged 
in a loving relationship forever and ever and ever. And you are made in that image. You are made a lover. In the garden, real spiritual, the real spiritual enemy of the souls of humanity displaced that love to be placed on an inferior object, which was self. And from that is born all the grief and misery in the world. Because you were made with a heart, with the capacity to love infinity. That's big, isn't it? God the Father, Son, and Spirit. Your heart was made. And when your heart is not loving the most beautiful, the most glorious, and the most infinite object of all, and you wrap it around a little bitty pebble, your love shrinks and becomes distorted. It becomes distorted into lust and sinful desires that cause you to become an animal. And even in Romans 1, it goes on not just to be turned over to degrade your body and using your body wrong, but your very mind becomes affected so that you cannot operate at your optimum mentally. But when your desire, when Christ is the center of your love, this capacity to love, all of the planets of your life become ordered. Marriage, children, family, community. And I know there's always going to be disorder in this world. But our love is always pushing to arrange things around Him. Owe no man anything but to love one another. It's from that supreme love that it will spill over so that you can love others. When you understand that Christ loved you when you were an enemy and a traitor, when you understand that, you're going to say, He loved me. He saved me. He delivered me from death and a life of self-destruction. Surely I can love somebody else too like that. And then He gives us the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of love in our hearts to live with us, to always be our companion walking with us so that we can love others. Owe no man anything but to love one another. And you know, owe no man anything. If we go into excessive debt or we're not paying our taxes... What does that show about our love? It shows our love is misplaced. And that we're coveting and desiring and we're listening to the lie and we're conforming to keep up with the Joneses in the world. And so, oh, no man, anything but to love. We have to demonstrate this love by showing that our hearts are not in bondage to anything. John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. We are to be, as I read in Ephesians 3 earlier, rooted and grounded in love. That means the very sap of your life is Christ and Christ's word.
this debt of love we owe is a continuous debt to love our neighbor, to love one another. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. Now he's going to expound on that in the next few verses. How is the law fulfilled by us loving one another? Let's try to answer that question. Well, first of all, we see that Christ fulfilled the moral law because he was the only perfect human to ever live. He always loved his father above all things. He never had any graven images. He never coveted. He never killed anyone. He never murdered. There was no sin ever entered into Jesus Christ. And through his perfections of keeping the moral law, he loved us. So now, by this faith and supernatural love that we have, being raised from the dead spiritually, we can love others and follow his example and doing our best to fulfill the law of love. And so we, being in Christ, united to Christ by faith, continue his work. And then in 1 Peter 1.22, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Do you want to purify your soul? Obey the truth. You don't have to understand it first. Jesus also said that. He says, when you obey me, then you'll understand. There's times where you've got to start trying to figure it out and figure out all the reasons. Quit wrestling and reasoning and philosophizing with the Word. Just obey it. You purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. That fervently is with fire and passion. We are to love one another. Why? Because Christ saved all of these. And in Christ we are all united by faith into the body of Christ. And we are one. There's a grand unity of love and a spirit of love that the world thinks they can achieve through whatever. It's only achieved in Christ. It's only achieved in Christ. He goes on and says in verse 9, So owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loves another has fulfilled the law for this. And then he's going to quote from the second table out of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love works no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And this is just a theme over and over again. Chapter 12, chapter 13. From being overwhelmed by the love of Christ to us. This love breaks forth in our lives to others. But first, you must do no harm. First, we must do no harm. Paul says, uh, I mean, 
Jesus says in Matthew 7 and 12, Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. That's another way of saying the same thing. Christ said on many occasions, If you love God with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself, you have fulfilled the Ten Commandments. And of course it's impossible for us to do that perfectly. But our heart's desire is to do it. And that is what the Spirit gives us, is a desire to follow after holiness and righteousness in Christ. That's what we call the golden rule there in Matthew seven twelve. Whatever you would that men should do to you, do to them. What, what would you like somebody to do to you? Remember Naaman? Who was trying to get Mordecai hanged? And God so worked it out that he went into the, uh, if I got the name wrong, he went into the king that morning. And the king said, what should I do to the person I desire to honor? And he said, well, and he's thinking, this is all the things I'd love to have done to me. Put him on the king's horse. Put the king's apparel on him. Parade him through the streets and talk about how great I am. That's what he's thinking and he said, wait, that's right, you go do that to the Jew Mordecai, his enemy. What would you like to have done to you? Christ is saying, do it to, do it to others. That's loving your neighbor, is desiring what's best for them, desiring good for them. The same thing is said in Galatians 5.14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we love our neighbor, we will not do anything against them as is listed in verse 9. We will not commit adultery against our neighbor. Adultery is used in the Old Testament to reference worshiping any other God but God. It was spiritual adultery. So the picture of adultery where a man or a woman goes outside the marriage covenant is a symptom of a deeper disease. It's a disease of worshiping something besides God. And so it's back to this thing I've been talking about. When your heart is settled on loving Christ, it won't do any of these things against your neighbor. You won't worship something besides God. And when you do that, when you don't fulfill the first four commandments, you're going to harm your neighbor. All of society in the world breaks down around these ten commandments. You know, I've said this before. What Would you rather have just ten commandments as for the government? Or would you like to have truckloads and truckloads and truckloads of laws and new laws and new laws that are passed every year by Congress and the Senate that can never enforce them. I remember I heard a pastor say one time he was training to be a, a lawyer. And, you know, by the time he got ready for the bar exam, all the law he had been studying had changed. And he decided to be a preacher because he said, you know what, here's a law that never changes.
If we murder someone, that's not loving our neighbor. At heart, murder is a lashing out at God. Because when you murder an image of God, it's a striking out at God Himself. Stealing, false witness, coveting, all of these things are born out of a disordered heart. And we all have disordered hearts. And the best believer, even a born-again believer, still has the old nature with that stuff in there that we have to contend with. James 2.8. What does James say about this? He says, If you fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. He calls it the royal law. This is the law of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If humanity could, and it can't, if humanity could keep the Ten Commandments, it would be paradise on earth. Because that's the specifications for behavior and joy and peace and happiness and love. When you get outside the specifications for your design, it messes everything up. The royal law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is continuing to press upon us. Now he's moving in chapter 12 where this love he is pressing upon you in context of this community of faith to now saying love your neighbor to those that are outside this community of faith. And he says in another place, as much as it lies in us, we are to have peace with everyone if we can. If at all possible, we're to live at peace with other people. But we can't compromise the truth. First John 4.20 If a man say, if a woman says, if a brother says, if a sister says, I love God and hates their brother, or I love God and they hate their sister, or I love God and they hate their neighbor, they are a liar. They don't love God. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? How many are there that say that they love God and have hatred in their heart towards a family member or somebody or holding bitterness somewhere? The Spirit says, you're a liar. You don't love me. If you can't love those whom you see, that's pretty tough, isn't it? But who is my neighbor? We're to love our neighbor, but, but who's my but who's my neighbor? What do we read about that? Luke 10. So who are we to love? I think we learned something in this little section here in Luke 10, 25. A certain lawyer comes to Jesus. It says he was tempting Jesus. So here's a lawyer he comes, a lawyer. He's coming. I'm smarter than this guy. I can trap him. I can outsmart this man. He doesn't understand who he's up against. 
And he comes with flattery. Master. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And you see that his whole problem is tied up in his question. Because there ain't nothing he can do. What shall I do? And for a person to come to Christ, they must be first pointed to the law and say, you've got to keep the Ten Commandments perfectly to inherit eternal life. And it's only when you come to realize there's something in me that makes it impossible for me to do that where you will get on your face and repent and say, I can't do it. But I love the law. It's beautiful. It's glorious. I understand that it's the way that I should live. But there's something wrong with me. i got a disease. This man has that disease. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, how do you read the law? And he answers and says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He answered right. Jesus said, you do that and you'll live. But he willing to justify himself. Oh. That's part of our disease. We love to justify ourselves. Any conflict we get in with somebody else, what's the first thing you do? Well, if you hadn't... Well, if you hadn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that. It's not my fault. The believer humbles himself to the point. And I'll tell you, husbands in this and your marriages, you've got pride in your heart. There's going to be times you're going to need to go say, you need to know, you've got to learn the four magic words. Honey, I was wrong. Honey, I was wrong. You got to learn to admit fault. Maybe even when you don't think you're wrong. If you want healing, because when you're willing to humble yourself and admit being wrong and confess that, it will melt hearts. This do and you shall live. And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And the point of this is, he's trying to show this guy, who's my neighbor? Well, you're walking down the road, and what's the person that's the most opposite of you that could be laying there? You know, or here you have a Samaritan, which was a half-breed that was considered to be a racism between Jews and Samaritans of the most hateful kind, and looking down upon them. And that's who Jesus uses to demonstrate who was a good neighbor to these Jews. That's scandalous. He was always telling those kinds of shocking stories to get their attention. And so if we love our neighbor, which is whoever needs help, whoever needs our love, and who is that? Who needs love? Sounds like a pop song, doesn't it? Everybody. The engine that drives who we are as believers, it drives humanity, is the need for love. 
I've heard it said that most of those that are in prison got there because of misplaced love, love turned into lust, or uh, unrequited love, love not returned. We all need love. So anybody who... you To have the sensitivity of the Spirit as you cross paths with whoever you're with this week and you can see pain in somebody's face, how can you help them? How can you love them? What can you say? What can you do? How are you doing with that? When's the last time you helped a person in love? This is the life of sacrifice and life of humility. And Paul's now going to cap this with a sense of urgency here. In the next verse in 11, he's going to say, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. So he's, he's saying it's time. It's high time to start doing this. To loving your neighbor. Why? Because the day of judgment, the day of the Lord is at hand. I like the way Charles Hodges puts it. He says, A pure and exemplary life as members of society is enforced by the consideration that the night is far spent and that the day is at hand and that the time of suffering and trial is almost over and that the day of deliverance is approaching. And so we are to live as exemplary members of society knowing the time. What is the time? Well, there were some that came to Jesus one time and said, show us a sign. Because, well, signs were going on all around him. He was healing people. He's raising the dead. He's preaching the gospel. And they come to him and say, show us a sign. And he tells them, in the morning, you say it will be foul weather today for the sky is red lowering. You hypocrites can discern the weather, but you cannot discern the signs of the time that Christ is here. Let me tell you something. That time of Christ is here now in this room with this gospel being preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here now. Now is the day of salvation. You need to understand the reality of eternity. When he says it's high time here, it means that it's time to do something you should have done a long time ago. It's high time. I've been thinking of Isaiah sixty twelve a lot lately based upon all of the judgments that Christ is doing in the world right now. And these are Christ's judgments on the world. He is judging the world in righteousness. In Isaiah sixty twelve it says, For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Yes, those nations shall be utterly wasted. We live in a time when nations are being wasted through foolishness and rejecting the King of Kings. Awake! Now is high time for us to be repenting and loving, serving one another, 
And through keeping the moral law, even when our government won't enforce it the way they should, we keep it anyway, and we set that example as salt and light in this society. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. He gave Himself for us to deliver us from this present evil world. So we are to cast off this darkness. Cast off the works of darkness. And that word darkness there means ignorance of divine things. Stop being ignorant of eternity and divine things. This world is not your friend. The song we sing, Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vain world a friend to grace? To help me on to God. These companies who have a business plan. There's one company, a streaming company, has got a business plan. And they say, you know what? People are only watching our streaming service, you know, 8 to 10, 12 hours a day. Well, they, they get 24 hours in the day. How do we get them to watch it even more? And they're conforming people to all of this lust and wickedness through the content that they're pouring out. Walt Disney's no longer a friend of the family, folks. It's time to wake up on that one. They've made it plain that they despise the Ten Commandments and this teaching on adultery, which is any sexual activity outside the context of one man and one woman for life is outside of the specifications for God's design for humanity. And the world hates that. And what they don't realize is they're robbing themselves of the most joy and pleasure in it. This is urgent. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, Paul would say to Thessalonians, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night, when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child. No worries, we're in a little recession right now, but if you just look at the charts over the last 50 years, your money will come back. Well, maybe so. But that's not the most important thing. Do you know Christ? Where will you be on that day? And so many people say, well, it's been 2,000 years. This stuff was written 2,000 years ago. There's no urgency. You only have a short time to live. What day will you die? I was close. We were close to having a funeral this weekend. And my family. And I thank God we're not. It's close. This world is not a friend to grace. It's not a friend to your growth and transformation. You've got to fight the good fight of faith. Here Paul is telling you how to live if you love Christ. Love your neighbor. Love each other. Know the time that it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer 
than when we believed. Exactly two months ago, on May 24th, at about 12.30 o'clock here, I was sitting down to uh, have my lunch, I'm sure, about that time. I just had a reflexology. I had a great book study that morning with a good brother. And at that time, 17 8- to 10-year-olds were murdered. Uzziah Garcia, nine years old, the sweetest little boy I've ever known, his grandfather Manny said. Jose Flores, 10, loved baseball and going to school, his uncle said. He had just received an honor roll awards that morning, and some of the parents had come, and several of these kids had received awards, and the parents said, goodbye, I'll pick you up at three. And at three, there were no children to pick up. Seventeen children did not get picked up from school that day. That is the result of the fall in Genesis 3. And all of these names, Jose, Amira, Xavier, Elithia, Nevaeh, Tesmaria, stepped through the veil into eternity. That's urgent, isn't it? Awake out of sleep. We are so dulled and deadened with our comforts, aren't we? And I thank God for our comforts. I do. I praise God for them. Let us keep them as blessings and let them not lull us to sleep. It's high time to wake up. I hate it. The gospel was murdered in public schools a long time ago. You don't think the consequences of that are not related to this event? Fathers and mothers are to be teaching their kids the gospel and protecting them from the religion of atheism and secularism which is being propagated in these institutions. And there's consequences. And it's high time we wake up to those realities. We can't, things can't just keep going along as they were in this country. And I know it's not in your lives. And I know most of you have come out of all of that. All of you have come out of that to worship Christ. But one of the ways that we might be able to love our neighbor is be trying to talk to him about some of these things. So love drives us to urgency in showing the world the love of Christ by how we live in front of them, how we love them. What an opportunity for people who live down there in Texas and Uvalde to try to love these people and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And Paul is teaching us here how we are to live and be transformed in submitting to government, Loving each other, loving our neighbors. How are you doing with that? Are you hating evil and cleaving to good? There may be some here today that might say, or someone listening, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to love this person or this thing. I just I don't know how to overcome that. 
then come to Christ and let Him show you how. Because He loved us when we were polluted in our own blood. When we were nothing but filthy rags, He loved us and saved us and cleaned us up and continues to clean us up and help us to walk in this way of truth. Jesus Christ lived that life and fulfilled the Ten Commandments. And then on the cross, 2,000 years ago, there was a great transaction that took place. It tells us in Corinthians, God made Jesus Christ to be sin for you, even though He knew no sin and He never sinned, so that you might become the righteousness of God in Him. So there's this wonderful thing that, that God did. God treated Jesus Christ as if He had lived your life. So that you are now being treated by God as if you had lived Christ's life. Isn't that the good news of the gospel? Thank God that my sins, my failures, past, present, future were nailed to that tree. And because of that, I can learn how to love people. May God bless us all to understand that reality. To be living a life of repentance and faith.